0: Why should anybody read the Bible? It's a basic question, but it's one that we should ask. We're going to talk about it today and more in this special lesson brought to you from New Creation Community Church here in Fayetteville, Arkansas, here on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You're listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. I'm your host, Toby Logs, and today is Monday, August the 2nd of 2010. Thank you so much for downloading this message today. We do consider it a blessing for you to be listening here with us today. I wanted to remind you guys, um, just real quick before we get started here, because this is kind of a a little bit of a longer lesson, we are taking uh, the sermon that I preached last night, at New Creation Community Church, which is the church that I'm planting here uh, or helping to plant here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And so the question that we're asking in this sermon is... Why should we study the Bible? And the name of the series that we're doing is Practical Atheist. Uh, it's probably a name that is familiar to some of you. You may have heard about it. I'll talk about that in the sermon. You'll be able to hear what it's all about and everything, exactly what that means. So one thing, uh, before we get started, one thing I would really love for you guys to be praying for uh, or, or praying through with me is uh, we got an email the other day and found out that the facilities that we use for our services are no longer going to be available to us on Sunday evenings. So we're not sure exactly what that means. We don't know if that means that we need to find a different time or a different day or um, a different place, you know, to, to meet. We don't know. Um, but yeah, last night was our last time uh, in these free facilities that, uh, that New Heights has been giving us. They've got some other ministries starting up in there. And, uh, you know, it's their facilities. So, of course, you know, we we want to let them uh, do their ministry stuff. They're, they've got priority, and we understand that, and we uh, we still love them. Uh, that's it, It's not a, a thing where they're taking it away from us. It's just that, yeah, they've got other stuff that they've got to do. So anyway, uh, man, uh, you know, I don't know what this means, like I said. But we are going to be moving on someplace or sometime or something. So anyway, if you guys could be praying through that issue with us, we would just greatly appreciate it. So anyway, without any further ado, this is Practical Atheist from New Creation Community Church. You can go to our website, uh, to our church's website at nc3.tv, and uh, you can download older sermons on there as well. So anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's go ahead and get started with this message from last night.
1: God, I don't think he's really listening to me. So they tell me that I'm supposed to have a personal relationship with God. What does that mean? I don't even have a personal relationship with my wife. Is he really gonna be there for me when I need him? Yeah, I read the Bible of it. I believe somewhat what the Bible says. I still want to go out and have a good time. Just because I believe in Jesus doesn't mean I'm going to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But I don't want to be a freak about it. Thank you guys so much for being here tonight. We're getting ready to start our new series, and we've got about half of our congregation on vacation, which is cool because they'll be able to go to our website, and they'll be able to download it and listen to it from our website. It's nc3.tv, NC3 New Creation Community Church, so it's kind of like NC Cubed, like in math. nc3.tv, so uh, you guys can listen to old messages on there. Uh, You can listen to new messages on there. That's where our messages are going to be. All right, so this is our new series that we're doing this month in August called Practical Atheists. Uh, And I guess I should start out by saying this is not something that we ourselves came up with. It's a... uh, Uh, term that was coined by Craig Rochelle from uh, LifeChurch.tv, awesome church. Uh, So he did a series on this. Uh, Also, Perry Noble from uh, New Spring Church in South Carolina did a series on this. Those series were different. Ours is going to be different as well. So we took the term, we took the concept behind this sermon series, and we're going to make it our own. Uh, Let me start out by giving you guys just a definition, just a working definition of what we mean when we say... Practical atheist. See, a practical atheist would be somebody who claims that they believe in God, somebody who acknowledges God's existence, and yet they live their lives as if God doesn't exist. It's somebody who professes. God with their lips and denies Him with their life. You guys ever heard DC Talk's Jesus Freak album? They've got the quote by Brennan Manning starting out uh, the second song on the album that says the greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who deny Jesus with their lifestyle. They acknowledge Him with their lips but they deny Him with their lifestyle. That is what practical atheism would be. The fact is, the statistics speak for themselves. About 94 or 95% of Americans claim that they believe in God. And we'll, we'll put the term for now, the term God, in quotes, because when we say God, sometimes they mean God like followers of Jesus affirm, and sometimes they mean just some. Thing out there, maybe it, maybe God is the universe, uh, maybe God is part of the universe, uh, something like that. So the 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 term God for this study um, would be pretty vague. It would be pretty general. Any definition of God. So five percent of Americans, roughly, would be atheists. And here's the thing. This is the question. Do we really? live our lives the people who profess following Jesus do we live our lives in accordance with what we profess see here's the thing if you took our lives and compared it with the life of an atheist you just took a cross section kind of like in biology class you just take a cross section of the life of a follower of Jesus you take the cross section of the life of an atheist how different are they? I'm not talking about morally or ethically because atheists can be very moral people. They can be ethical people. They can be humanitarian. They can do good things. The law of God is written on our hearts, on everybody's heart, including atheists. So they have a sense of morality. They can be moral people. What I'm talking about is not morals or ethics then. I'm talking about habits. I'm talking about things that we should be doing It would set us apart from the world, and the problem arises when our lives don't differ significantly in terms of these habits from the lives of atheists. How many of you guys are on Facebook? Is everybody here on Facebook? One of the status options that you have on Facebook is open—that you're in an open relationship. Now. This is something I wish I didn't know, but I grew up in Las Vegas, and I worked in the casinos in Las Vegas for a long time, and I have been around the most depraved people in the whole world. Uh, Yeah, so I know what an open relationship is. An open relationship is this. A husband is standing around with his buddies, and he says, hey, let's go to a strip club. Or he sees a girl that he likes, and he thinks, you know, I I, want to get her phone number, even though he's married. That would be an open relationship. An open relationship basically means that you have the benefits of being in the relationship without having the responsibility. So if you want to go to a strip club, you can go to a strip club because, you know, your your wife's open to do the same thing. If you want to uh, hit on a girl at a bar or wherever, you know, you guys have that kind of allowance with each other. That's what an open relationship would be. And here's the thing. What is true... Of somebody who's in an open relationship physically to varying degrees is also true of us as followers of Jesus spiritually what is true of them physically is true of us to varying degrees spiritually so the principle behind the open relationship status carries over we want this open relationship with God where we get the benefits but not the responsibilities. See, the problem is, let's be honest, followers of Jesus love him enough and believe in Jesus enough to save us from hell, but we don't believe in him enough to allow him to change our lives. And that's a problem. Because, you see, God's plan for us isn't just to save us from the penalty of sin. It's also to save us from the power of sin in our lives. God's plan for us isn't just to save us by His grace. It's also for us to live by His grace daily. It's a daily thing. Now, I know what some people say. They say, well, you know what? If I sin, I'm going to be forgiven. And we believe here that salvation can't be lost Romans uh, 6.23 says that salvation is a gift from God. Romans 11.29 says that God's gifts are irrevocable. So we, we affirm that you can't lose your salvation. But some people take that and they say, okay, so I can sin then. Here's the thing. I'm old school. I grew up in an era when, when you went to Disneyland, you could get a ticket to get in the park, and all you could do was walk around in the park. If you wanted to go on the rides, if you wanted to actually do anything that was enjoyable in there, you had to get these other tickets, these extra tickets. And then you could go on the rides, and each ride would have varying amounts of tickets that you'd have to spend in order to ride them. And see, that's the same principle with heaven. Yes, our ticket to heaven is paid for, but there are rewards for living a righteous life, for developing these habits that a new creation should have. You see, Jesus died for us so that we could live for him. And it's a problem. It's a serious, serious problem when we refuse to do that, when we refuse to live for him. See, we're new creations. There's no question about that. That's what this church is all about. We are new creations. But you know what? We've got old habits. We've got old habits that we brought over with us when we became new creations. So how do you change habits? We bring these old habits in. How do we replace them? We replace them with the same thing that a psychologist will tell you. If you go to a counselor and you've got a problem with some kind of habit, you know what they'll tell you? You need to come up with a new habit to replace your old habit. And so one of the habits that followers of Jesus need to be getting into, need to be making, a habit that we need to be making in our lives is reading the Bible. Now, time out for a second. Uh, I'm going to try not to go into drill sergeant mode here with you guys, Uh, but I I just have to warn you up front, I guess. I am passionate. I mean, I get really excited when it comes to reading and studying the Bible. Yeah, who who would have thought that the the Bible study podcast guy would get excited about reading Studying the Bible, right? Yeah. It's something I'm passionate about. So, um, if if I get a little bit harsh with you guys, please forgive me up front. Uh, I know I'm a little rough around the edges. Let's talk about what a big problem this is, studying the Bible. If you guys have heard of the Barna Group, they are a Christian group uh, that does research. And they did a study last year, at the end of last year. This came out in November last year. And here's what they did. They asked over 1,000 self-professing Christians... What specific aspect of your spiritual life would you like to improve? Now, I don't know what you're expecting. I would have been expecting better than this. Get this. For 18 to 25-year-olds, 3% said, read the Bible more. What specific aspect of your spiritual life would you like to improve? 3% of 18 to 25-year-olds said, read the Bible more. For 26 to 44-year-olds, 1% said, read the Bible more. For 45 to 63-year-olds, 1% said, read the Bible more. For 64 to infinity, less than 1% answered, read the Bible more. Practical atheism. Houston, we have a problem here. Turn with me if you have your Bibles with you. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, we've got Bibles back there on the table. Go ahead and turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. We're going to be getting to those here in just a minute. First thing I want to do is, I, you know, when I was preparing this and going over this in my mind, I started thinking, you know, there are a lot of really funny, maybe crazy things that people do when it comes to studying the Bible, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and admit to you guys up front that. I am guilty of a lot of these things, uh, or I have been in the past. And I've had to grow past these things to, to uh, really know how to study the Bible properly. But when Christians study the Bible, they do funny things. For example, you guys know what hermeneutics is? Hermeneutics is the, the art of interpreting the Bible. And one thing that Christians will do is they'll play her- hermeneutical hopscotch. You guys know what hopscotch is, right? Where you, you know, you're jumping from one spot to the next to the next. And so, you know, Christians will go into these bookstores, and they'll find these books on Bible codes. And they think, okay, if you take, like, the third letter of every 18 words, it's going to spell something out for you, and that's, that's what God's trying to tell you right there. And I guess, you know, my, my answer to that is, well, you know, I, I went through the book of John, and you know what it it's spelled out? It's spelled out lemon meringue pie. That means God must want me to go to Villa Gin for dinner tonight. That's one funny thing that Christians do. The other thing, uh, another thing that they do is they play Bible Buffet. And this is a great one. The other day I was having a discussion with a defense attorney, of all people. Uh, on Facebook, we were having a discussion about whether the the verse from Leviticus chapter 19, which pertains to how we should be treating aliens, whether that can apply to the United States. And he was saying, well, it it does. And I said, okay, well, let's look at the context of this, because right next to this, it says uh, that you are not to wear mixed types of clothing. So if you're wearing cotton underwear and a polyester shirt, get out of town. Oh, no, 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 I I don't want to apply that. I just want to apply the part here that says something about aliens. You know, I, I like this. I'm comfortable with this over here. But this over here, ooh, I, I, I'm not so sure I like that. Oh, I like this passage over here where it's talking about God's grace and God's mercy. And, oh, uh, I'll, I'll pass on the judgment. And so it's kind of like a buffet. You know, when you go into a buffet and you're like, oh, I'll have some of these. Uh, I don't like green beans. I'll pass on those. Give me some more fried chicken. And that's what some Christians do with the Bible. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I used to do it. Another thing, they use the Bible as a, a decorative dust collector. Uh, it just sits there and sits there and sits there. And, and once a year, they got to clean off the dust. Or or they'll use it as a good luck charm. or uh, Or... Uh, As an heirloom, or what they'll do is they'll get a really big Bible, and of course they look super spiritual when they get the really big Bible, right? And then what do they do? They put it on their coffee table. They don't open it. They don't open the book. They don't open the Bible. They want to use it to make sure that their precious coffee table doesn't get scratched up. And finally, here's here's the best one, and this is one uh, again. I I admit I used to do this. What they'll do is they'll play magic eight ball with the Bible. What does it tell me I'm supposed to do? And this is is kind of funny because this box, this box says, Solving life's dilemmas since 1950. Wow. 60 years of solving life's dilemmas. Here, here we go, folks. 2,010 years of solving problems. How about that? Right here in the Bible. So if, if age or longevity is uh, is the gauge here, uh, yeah, the Bible's got it. But here's what people will do. They'll say, God, I want you to speak to me today. And so they open up the Bible. Nevertheless, the righteous will hold to his way. God, what are you trying to tell me? Right, that's a little bit ambiguous. So they go thumbing through the Bible, looking for something that speaks to them. Like it's a magic eight ball. Well, that's not how it works. That is not how you study the Bible. And again, like I said, I will admit I used to study the Bible that way. That is not studying the Bible. That is playing magic eight ball. All right. If you guys will turn to Second Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. This is what Paul says about the Bible. Because one question that we might be asking when it comes to the Bible, at least this is the first question that comes to my mind when I read anything, is why? Why should we study the Bible? Paul answers that. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So let's go ahead and just dissect this verse and really get at what Paul's telling us here. He starts off by saying, All Scripture. Leviticus? Leviticus? Chronicles? Man, that stuff's inspired by God? You mean I should be reading that stuff? Yeah, all Scripture, the whole Bible, all 66 books. All scripture is breathed out by God. And depending on your translation, most translations, I, I think the ESV is the only one that translate it, translates it as breathed out by God. But almost every other translation says inspired by God. And a lot of people have different ideas about what it means to be inspired. How, how did God inspire the authors of scripture? Is it like, you know, if I'm sitting out in a field and there's a beautiful sunset and I feel so inspired, so I write this poem? No. The word there is phainousias, which means God breathed or God breathed out. Uh, that is the best translation that I've seen in the English Standard Version. Uh, Peter put it this way in Second Peter chapter one verse twenty-one. He said, "No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." So that's another way of explaining. God breathed out or inspired. That's talking about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, what I get from that, or what you should get from that, is that we should be, if for no other reason, we should be reading the Bible because it has God's DNA all over every single word. The next thing Paul tells us is that it's profitable. It's not like we're not going to get anything out of it. There's a benefit in it for us. And of course, Some people, the first question that comes to their mind is, what's in it for me? Well, Paul's going to tell us here. He says it's profitable. And by the way, I'm going to blow your mind with this one. Do you know what the Greek word for profitable means? It means profitable. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't understand the Bible unless you know the original languages. And don't let anybody tell you that there's only one translation that's correct. There are a lot of people out there who would call themselves KJV-onlyists. And here's the thing, when they read the Bible, you know, they're reading, uh, like, Shakespeare-type stuff, but they don't go around saying, Toby, how goest thou? The guys who wrote the King James Version actually said that they wrote it because... Something in the modern vernacular was needed, so don't let anybody tell you which version you should or shouldn't be reading. There are some bad ones out there that are uh, written by cults. We won't get into that tonight. But your your basic stuff: NIV, NASB, uh, KJV, NKJV, ESV. Yeah, ABC. Anyway, so it's profitable. It's profitable. For what? He gives us some things here. He says, first of all, it's profitable for teaching us about God. That's what it's for. Teaching. It's profitable for teaching. Teaching us about the God who wrote it. Teaching us about the will of the God who wrote it. Teaching us about the character, the heart of the God who wrote it. It teaches us practical things that we can carry with us through life. And this is huge because if we don't know, if we're not thinking correctly because we haven't been taught correctly, then we're not going to be living correctly either. And get this, it's not only something that's good for teaching you how to be a good father or a good good employee, it also teaches you how to be a good steward. And for those of you who don't know how, uh, what, a, what it means to be a steward, uh, you know, if you're listening online you don't know what it means to be a good steward, it means you're doing something with your resources that God has blessed you with. And get this, a recent study recently revealed that the more somebody reads the Bible, the less likely they are to be buried in debt. So, the more financially successful they are, Because they read the Bible. They learn how to manage their money. They learn how to make priorities. They don't get consumed with materialism. And so they end up more financially successful. Next thing, Paul says, it's profitable for reproof. That basically means it's like a mirror. Scripture's like a mirror. If I I think I'm doing all right, I can hold this up and look at myself in it and say, whoa. I'm pretty dirty. I need to change. Uh, I've got some, some smudges on me. And so it shows us that. That's what reproof is. Paul also says it's profitable for correction, which means it doesn't just show us the areas that we need to change in, but it points us back in the right direction. It points us to the path of righteousness. It points us in the direction that we need to go if we're going to be living our lives correctly. Finally, he says it's profitable for training in righteousness. I want to settle on this one for just a moment here. See, the Bible tells us that there are two types of righteousness. First, there's one that God accepts. And secondly, there's one that he rejects. There's one that he hates, in fact. Romans 10, verses 3 and 4 says, Being ignorant of the righteousness of God, he's speaking here of Israel, Being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness that is, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So here we see two types of righteousness, their own and God's. And they were trying to go the way of their own righteousness and rejecting God's. Then Paul continues and says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So there's man's righteousness, which is unacceptable to God people think, well, you know, if I'm, if I'm just good enough, I'll get into heaven. No, that's not God's standard, because good enough isn't good enough. And then there's Christ's righteousness, which is acceptable to God. And in fact, that's the only type of righteousness that's acceptable to God. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom, from God and righteousness. He's wisdom to us from God, and he's righteousness to us, from God. He's the personification of righteousness. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21. "For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, the personification of righteousness. And this is a long theological explanation, I'm not going to give it to you guys, because you guys will be falling asleep. But basically, everything that God has, the qualities that God has, is what He is. The Bible says God is love because He has love. He is righteousness because He has righteousness. That is moral perfection. So when it says, when Paul says that it's profitable for training in righteousness, what it means it's that it's teaching us to become more and more like Jesus in our daily lives. And here's, here's a question for you guys. What do you do when you know there's somebody that you want to be like? You guys know who Flea is? Anybody here heard of Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers? That boy can play some bass like nobody else you will ever hear. That dude is awesome. Now, I've been playing bass for... Uh, I'm gonna age myself here, I'm gonna reveal my age here. I've been playing it for like 26, 27 years. And when I first heard Flea, I was like, man, how many hands is that guy playing with? Cause it sounds like he's got like five or six hands. I don't, I don't understand how he could do that. So what I did, I went out and I got a Flea video so that I could learn his technique, right? Wrong. Cause I found out that what Flea can do with two hands, it would take me five or six hands to do. Uh, he, he's just incredible. So uh, I, I did try studying him, but I've only got two hands. So anyway, look at somebody like Kobe Bryant. One of the best players that the NBA's ever seen, right? I don't think there's any question about that anymore. He's won all kinds of championships with and without Shaquille O'Neal. He is one of the best, one of the best of all time. But what did he do? How did he get so good? His dad was in the NBA. And his dad used to bring him game tape, and he used to study the greats of the game. Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, and surprise, surprise, Michael Jordan. You watch Kobe Bryant and sometimes it's like, dude, that is Michael Jordan. Well, he learned those moves, he got that good by studying those guys frame by frame. Frame by frame. And so, that's the principle. Who we want to be like is who we study. So, with that in mind, if that's true, what does it say about followers of Jesus who refuse to study the Bible? I'm going to let that set in for a second. I know that stings. Because I know that sometimes I'm guilty of that. I know that I could be studying the Bible a lot more than I do. And that's something to keep in mind. What does it say about me and my desire to be Christ-like if I'm not spending my time studying Him, studying His life, studying His characteristics? It's convicting, and it should be. So that's why we should study the Bible, briefly. Another question we might ask is, how should we study the Bible? If you have your Bible with you, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. We'll also have it up here on the PowerPoint. Here, Peter wrote, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And again, let's just break this down and see what Peter's telling us. First thing he tells us is what our attitude should be regarding the Word of God. It should be eagerness. We should be eager to feast from it. For those of you who are parents, you know what your, what your babies were like when they were growing up, when they were first born. Every two to four hours, it's like an alarm goes off, and you've got to answer that by feeding them milk. So a baby needs milk for physical sustenance in the same way that Peter's telling us, we should be eager for that spiritual sustenance from the Word. Next, Peter tells us what our appetite should be. We should be starving for it. Starving for it. Like we're always running on empty. Oh man, it's been a couple hours since I've really thought about you know, something that the Scripture says. Man, it's been a couple days since... Since I read the Bible, since I opened my Bible, I need it. We should be starving for it. And you know what? Just a side note here. When somebody says, Man, I, I'm not starving for it, you know, one of the questions I'll ask them is, Well, you know, how, how's your studying going? Well, yeah, I'm not really studying it right now, just a little bit here and there. And here's the thing honestly, that says more about the person than it does about the Bible that they are supposedly reading and studying. Now, admittedly, the the sweetness of Scripture, and it is sweet, it's an acquired taste, if I'm just being perfectly honest, because people can go through life and not know what they're missing. But here's the thing. How do you acquire a taste of anything? By having it regularly. And then it gets to the point where you just can't have enough of it. So we should be feasting on the Word, getting into it regularly. Finally, Peter tells us what our aim should be. He says that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So our aim is Christ-likeness. Now some people read it just for the information. You know, I actually know a guy who was an atheist, but he was seeking, and he said, before I... Commit my life to Christ. Before I become a Christian or make a decision one way or the other, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read this book from beginning to end. And he did. He did. He read the whole thing before he even became a believer in Christ. Before he became a Christ follower, he had everything read. And you know what? 99% of the people who go to the churches in the United States can't say the same. They can't say they've read from beginning to end. So some people just read it for that. Some, some people just read it for the information without applying it to their lives. Thankfully, thank God, this guy applied it to his life. But some people, they read it, but they don't apply it to their lives. And I would say that of legitimate Christ followers sometimes. But here's the thing. This is not about information. It's about life transformation. God didn't give us his word to make us smarter sinners. He didn't give us his word so that we could be the best person when it comes to Bible trivia. Because I know that Bible trivia parties are all the rage, right? That's not the point. It's to make you more like the Savior. To make you more like Jesus. It's about growing in Christ-likeness. Or as Paul said, back in our verse in Second Timothy, about growing in righteousness, training in righteousness. Now, in closing, we know that this is God's word, but some people don't take that claim at face value. We've got a series coming up for you guys that you guys are going to love if you don't believe or if you don't know for sure that this is the Word of God. Our next series is going to be called Cross-Examined. And we're going to be talking about reasons that you can and should trust in the Bible. But for now, I'll just say that this is God's love letter to us. I went to Alaska back in 1995 when I was engaged to my wife. Went to Alaska for the whole summer and you know what I did? I brought a notebook with me and I filled it from beginning to end with letters to my wife. It was so hard for me to be away from her for, what, like two or three weeks. I wrote pages every single day. And if we really believe that this is God's love letter to us, what do we do with that? We get into it. We get into it. We study it. We find out about this God who loved us so much that he gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him, whoever believes in his son, won't perish, but has eternal life. Because make no mistake mistake about it, somebody who does not love God the way that they should will not crack this book open. They won't. It's just going to be a decoration on their shelf. It's going to be something that protects their coffee table from getting scratched up. The dirtier your Bible is, like writing all inside and everything, the dirtier your Bible is, the cleaner your life will be. The more you study it, the more you'll grow to be like Christ. Let's pray. I just pray that you'll convict us tonight. I pray that you'll use this series on practical atheism to teach us more about you. To teach us how to not only profess you with our lips, but to let your light shine in our lives, Lord. I pray that you will wreak havoc on these bad habits that we have through this series. For your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yo ¿no?